Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. After a week off, we are back on the Testudo Talk podcast. I'm Emmett Siegel. Andrew Chodis is here with me. Andrew, we're into the new year. We're into 2024. We got a lot to talk about this episode. Maryland football, we haven't talked to everyone since the Music City Bowl uh, in Nashville. And then Maryland basketball has had a game or two since then as well. First off, how you doing? How you feeling energized, you know, as we enter into the new year? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Excited for the new year. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff happening with uh, with Maryland sports and looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, well, let's do it. And we should probably start with the football game, with uh, with yeah. the bowl game against Auburn, Music City Bowl. Maryland comes out on top in pretty decisive fashion. Uh, 31 to 13 was the final score in Nashville. We were there watching it and it was uh, it went. I don't think either of us were expecting uh, necessarily the scoreline to be uh, that big in favor of Maryland, but it was a, it was a pretty complete effort, at least early on from the team. The quarterbacks that we were talking about, the young quarterbacks, Billy Edwards and Cam Edge, both came out looking really strong. Maryland goes up 21 nothing, And then from there, not necessarily as efficient on offense, but Maryland's defense really took over, especially some of those young uh, DBs looked really impressive and and some other guys as well on that defensive front. So when you just look at the the complete nature of that game, um, it's hard sometimes to take a little bit from bowl games just because it's an exhibition. Some guys aren't playing. You're rotating some guys in and out. Um, you never know exactly what the motivation is going to be, but, but overall, how encouraging would you say it was to, you know, see Maryland come out on top in that decisive fashion? Yeah. And I think you said, I don't think the game could have gone any better for, for Maryland. Right. I mean, you score in your first three possessions, you go up 21, nothing. I thought, I thought both quarterbacks looked really good early. I think the, how the game kind of slowed down the end kind of dictated their play towards the end of the game. Uh, but I thought Cam Edge, I thought his, I thought he looked really, really comfortable in the pocket, especially uh, that deep throw to Caden Prather early was was unbelievable. Um, I, I think that that showed some of his uh, potential. But the defensive backs, to me, that was that was that was my biggest takeaway. I thought they were absolutely phenomenal. Um, Glenn Miller, Perry Fisher, both uh, played really well. I know Jaquan Shepard. I know he's going to the NFL draft. He's out of eligibility, but he looked awesome as well. So, I mean, credit to Brian Williams, right? I, I think that can be the main takeaway. The defense, they were really good at the beginning of the year, kind of slipped up midway through the year, and then they finished off really, really strong. And I think that's a testament to Brian Williams and his staff and kind of what they've implemented uh, this season, kind of ending on a strong note, I think is always a positive thing for the culture of the team. Yeah, and also Henry Baker, the cornerbacks coach, defensive yeah. backs coach, done a really good job of developing some depth in that room. We talked about it a lot at the beginning of the season about what they lost last year with a couple guys going to the NFL. You're going to have something similar this year with Tarheeb still. He didn't play in the game. Um, although he was probably the best dressed player there. He really rocked the Nashville outfit with the cowboy hat, with the belt buckle and everything. I thought that was great. Um, but you're losing Tarheeb still. You're losing uh, Jaquan Shepard to the draft. Bo mm -hmm. Braid's a safety, but he's gone as well. So, you know, you're going to need some of those younger guys in the secondary to step up next year. We got a little bit of a preview in Nashville uh, of what maybe we'll see next year. It kind of gave me uh, a reminder of maybe the pinstripe bowl. We talk about the running backs, the way that um, Roman Hemby and Antoine Littleton kind of broke out there and they put together uh, the last two pretty good years. Obviously Littleton's in the portal, but, uh, but Hemby's, you know, kind of been a very consistent back for this Maryland team in those two years, you know, really, really good at times as well. You mentioned Perry Fisher, you mentioned uh, Jaquan Shepard and Glenn Miller. You know, those guys are uh, really, really played well. Shepard, it was good to see a guy like that play in the game and help out his draft stock. Jacorian Bennett did that last year. Um, he was going to the NFL, but he decided to play in the bowl game. And then he had an interception to win the game at the end. Um, Jaquan Shepard didn't necessarily get the takeaway, but uh, but it was still 
a really, really good sight to see. And also Levain Scruggs as well, I believe had an interception. Yeah. Dante Trader had interception, but there was a penalty on the play. So it didn't count, but, uh, but overall Maryland's DBs were, were all over the ball. And I thought mm -hmm. overall they were really, really impressive. Um, and I thought just defensive performance, like you said, was really impressive, uh, all around. Um, I'll flip to the offensive side of the ball. You talked about Cam Edge. I'll talk a little bit about Billy Edwards, who did win the MVP of the game. Um, you know, generally they're just probably going to give the MVP to the starting quarterback of the winning team. But, uh, but Billy Edwards was named MVP, um, really good on the ground as always. His passing was inconsistent. Once again, as always, you know, we've kind of become accustomed to that a little bit with Billy where the throwing isn't necessarily all the way there, but, but he's really, really mobile and great with his legs and he looked comfortable out there. If nothing else, you know, put the ball in harm's way a couple times, but but overall, pretty good performance. I was really encouraged by what I saw but between him and Cam Edge. Then you got MJ Morris coming in, the, the NC State transfer. I think we're headed to an offseason that, you know, we'll talk about Talia a little bit because we got some news about Talia as well. But with Talia gone, you have the first time in a couple of years where you're really going to have a quarterback competition this offseason. And I thought it was kind of cool to see the early stages of that. Um, and Loxley even acknowledge that after the game, just say, we have a quarterback competition. I got a lot to think about this offseason. Yeah, no, I think when we came to the game, I know there was a lot of probably discussions around the media of uh, this, this game might kind of give us a clue as to who's going to start next year. I, I don't think it necessarily showed that. What I think it showed is that for me, I think Billy Edwards is definitely going to have a role in the offense next year, Not even if he's not named the starter. I think Cam Edge, I think he's going to put up really stiff competition. I think Locke is going to have to think about starting game, you know, even as a younger player and MJ Morris, you, you know, a really small sample size, you know, he, he, he has a winning record in the, in the games he played at NC state. So we'll see, I think it's going to be a really interesting competition, but I think for me, the takeaway from the quarterback plays, I think Billy Edwards, just his prowess on the ground, I think is going to give, is going to give Merrill. I mean, we saw he had, he had what, six touchdowns in a, in a span of, of three quarters, something like that. I mean, to end the season, he had, I, I believe he had seven touchdowns in this in the last three games or six. So I mean, just an absolutely, he's just so he's so valuable on the ground. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like a Taysom Hill in the Saints. <laughs> you yeah, you could probably him. find a creative way to use Billy. Exactly. I mean, I mean for sure, and, and I think that I think just I think just to kind of wrap this up. I think there was a lot of a lot of encouraging positive signs from the game. I don't think there were many negatives. Yeah, I mean, you know, from an Auburn perspective, obviously the game went the complete opposite way. And yeah. they're kind of building as a program where Maryland is, you know, even maybe a little bit farther ahead. Obviously, Auburn higher ceiling and all that, but but Maryland's a little farther ahead in its build with Loxley as opposed to Auburn with Hugh Freeze. But when you look at Maryland, you you know, very, very encouraging. I don't think there was really anything in that game that I would be discouraged by personally. I thought um Maryland outplayed Auburn on offense, defense, special teams. Um Auburn turned the ball over. I think four times. I think they had two fumbles on punt returns as well. Um, and Maryland special teams looked pretty solid. Like it was all overall just a pretty much a dominant performance from Maryland. And there was really no question after that first drive, to me at least, what was going to happen in that game. It was mm -hmm. fitting, like you said, that Billy Edwards gets the short yardage touchdown on the first drive. Um, yeah. But I, I will be interested to see, you know, maybe they can work out a way. And, and MJ Morris might kind of, uh, you know, put a little bit of a wrench in this. But I left that game thinking – that there's definitely room for both Cam Edge and Billy Edwards in the offense next Absolutely. year. Absolutely. You know, Cam Edge, Absolutely. his arm was was really impressive. You know, we talk about that one throw to Prather, which was a beautiful deep ball, which, you know, Talia wasn't the most accurate with. Billy, we've really yet to see him connect on one of those. Um, yeah. and, and he'll even tell you that. He, you know, he said that after the game as well. You know, Cam's got a really good arm, a really impressive arm, especially for someone as inexperienced as he is. I think mm -hmm. you could definitely find a way to get him in the game while keeping Billy's legs as, as a valuable asset for you. I don't know exactly how to do that. 
Josh Gaddis, Mike Loxley, they're going to have to figure it out. And obviously MJ Morris is, is in the mix as well. And we haven't seen him in a Maryland uniform yet, but he could be a little bit of the best of both worlds. Maybe that's just, you know, grass is greener. Who knows? But, uh, but I'm definitely interested to see how that plays out. Now let, let's go a little bit big picture um, about the bowl win. This is the third straight year that Maryland's won a bowl game. That's the first time Maryland's ever done that won a bowl game in three straight seasons. Um, they, their eight win season. If you include the bowl game for the second straight year, when you look big picture at this season, you know, it obviously ends on a positive note. So, you know, now we're here after the game, a couple of days after the game, looking at the season positively. But when you look at it from start to finish, what kind of stands out to you about this season and what will you take away from what you saw from Maryland football in 2023? Very up and down. Um, I think, I think after the Northwestern game, I, I think there was tons of negativity in the, in the program, a lot of questions if they would even make a bowl game. But I think the way they were able to kind of fight through that and 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 end on a positive note with with you know those the three consecutive wins to end the season i think that's really important for the culture and what they're trying to build and i think you have to remember right it's just like you know be, before the pandemic right those i mean from 2015 to 2020 this this program was in a really bad spot and to put forth a couple winning seasons in a row in the big 10 which is only going to get more difficult right so i think to end on a positive note is is really important but I think you're all looking back on the season and you're going to look look at it like a season of lost opportunity, right? To, you play two pretty good games against Michigan and Ohio State where you really had a chance of winning. And then, of course, the Illinois-Northwestern game is unbelievably disappointing. But, you know, uh, bowl win for the third straight year, first time in program history. Uh, you get eight wins back-to-back years. So I think there's positive, right? And I think you kind of have to have, have to weigh that against the lost opportunities. But... The end was strong, and we'll see if they can build that into next year. Yeah, a lot of it's about how you finish. And obviously in college football, the regular season is a small sample size, and you know one game can kind of derail a lot of things. Um, but I think overall I would take away from this season that um, it, it felt like another step, even though the win total was the same, even though you didn't necessarily get that win, the signature victory, if we want to use that term, even though it's been mm-hmm. kind of overused, that maybe you've been looking for over the past couple of years, you know, you still kind of look at it as a little bit more of that vision that Loxley set out coming to fruition. And you start to see a little bit of the, the growth, which you see in the bowl game, even though, you know, the bowl game at the end of the day, isn't make or break for your season still to, you know, end the season with a win against Auburn, even though Auburn, not, you know, a vintage Auburn team by any means, right? This Auburn team was not that great still to end with a win against a you know big name opponent in a decently sized stage, you know, about as good as Maryland's done in terms of what bowl game they're playing in since I don't know, the orange bowl, you know, something like that, you know, it's probably one and a half steps below a game like that, you know, to end a season like that, you gotta, gotta feel pretty positive about that. But what we talked about and what I take away from this is that you start to see the depth starting to be established for Maryland a little bit. And you start to see a little bit more confidence that, you know, when you lose a guy like Talia, maybe you're not going to take as big of a step back next year. You know, when you lose some of these NFL DBs, maybe you have guys waiting in the wings for them. The tight ends, we didn't even talk about the tight ends. You're losing Corey Deitches, both mm-hmm. Dylan Wade and Preston Howard catch a touchdown. You know, it feels like Maryland's at, it feels like Maryland as a program is in a pretty healthy spot right now. Now, obviously next year is going to be big with, you know, the quarterback questions and all that, but uh, it feels like Maryland's in a pretty healthy spot. And I think when you look back big picture on this season, it probably is dependent on what happens in the next year or two, whether or not you look at this as a missed opportunity. But I think overall, 
when I look at it right now in this moment, I see it as just another building block towards maybe taking that next step. If that's even possible in this new big 10, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I, I look at it at least big picture as somewhat of a positive, um, before we talk, let's talk a little bit about Talia, but before we do that, is there anything you want to add? I think we covered all. Perfect. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about Talia. Cause we got some news today that, uh, he's entering the transfer portal, or I guess it has officially entered the transfer portal. Um, we knew this was something that he was going to try to do because anybody that's looked at him as a, as a draft prospect probably has come to the quick realization that his options aren't super ample, uh, in the, uh, in the draft process, you know, he's, he's not necessarily projecting to be an NFL quarterback, at least not a drafted NFL quarterback. And if he is, it's in the later rounds. So, you know, he's, it, it makes sense for him to try and squeeze every bit of college eligibility. He can out of this to try and get more NIL. I don't blame him at all for that. Um, obviously his time in Maryland is over, but you know, maybe he'll seek it elsewhere. But when you look at this, this news, um, you know, he's going to need a waiver from the NCAA because, he is out of eligibility. He's used the red shirt. He's used the COVID year. Like he's he's out of eligibility. Um, there's a chance he could get a waiver nowadays with the NCAA, the legal standing that they're on. I would expect that you know the NCAA. I just kind of expect them to lose any battle in court if they choose to go that way. Um, yeah. Both Maryland and Alabama would have to sign off on a waiver, which is still kind of unsure whether or not that's going to happen. I think Maryland filed the waiver, so you know maybe that means they signed off on it, but. Uh, you know, when you look at this, Miami comes up as as an obvious destination. They're looking for a quarterback. That's where his brother plays professionally. But uh, but just first reaction to the Talia news when you saw it, did it take you by surprise at all? And and what do you kind of think about it? No, because 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 I know there were definitely rumors, but kind of spiraling uh, about it a little bit. And it, it makes sense for his career path, right? I mean, kind of kind of his. I think his legacy at Maryland was it was over, right? And I think that. The program itself kind of decided to go in a different direction. You you kind of you bring in MJ Morris and and you know and for him, the opportunity is is probably greater at a different programmer where he can kind of get more established on the national stage, get to get the NIL money because right now, like you mentioned, he's probably not going. He would be a late late round draft pick possibly. Um, personally, my opinion, I think it's going to be very difficult uh, for for him to be able to to gain that extra year of eligibility. Um, but the NCAA is super unpredictable. You really, you really have no idea with the NCAA. Um, definitely w- wish him the best, right? I, I think in, in his career where where he ends up going. But I think it would be really weird to see him in a uh, in a different jersey besides uh, besides Maryland. It would definitely be an interesting sight for Maryland fans. But no, I, I can't say I was very surprised just because the rumors that were swirling about it in the past few weeks. Yeah, I, mean, I think when he opted out of the bowl game, it was yeah. clear that his Maryland career was over, but then once again, you know, he's not an elite draft prospect by any means in a year where there are a lot of really good quarterback prospects. So it's a little bit of probably bad luck. And also just, there are some limitations with size with, you know, some of the stuff he's put on tape with the decision-making. So it's not super surprising. Um, I echo what you said that Maryland fans and, and us, you know, as people that cover the team should all wish him the best because what he did at Maryland, you know, I know people are going to complain about some of the stuff he did and maybe, you know, maybe we'll see next year that it's a little bit of a system thing, but, uh, but you know, he definitely kind of helped elevate that program and did great things for Maryland. So I don't think there should be any ill will no matter where he goes, you know, he's not going to like a big 10 rival, right? That's not going to happen. Maryland's not going to sign off on the waiver for him to start the game next year against them. Like, you know, he, if he's going anywhere, he's going somewhere with, with good NIL opportunities as looking for a quarterback. Um, and we'll just kind of wait and see what happens with that. Um, I don't personally, like you said, expect it to really go anywhere, but, uh, but maybe it does. Who knows? And if it does, then best to him and, and wish him the best of luck. Um, but that being said, let's transition to some basketball talk. 
Um, I don't think you guys got the opportunity to talk about Coppin State game on the podcast uh, since since uh, we last we last put one out. It's been a little bit. Obviously, this would be about two weeks since our last episode. But uh, but that game, you know, kind of flush it, whatever. The biggest game that Maryland men's basketball played was against Purdue. Number one, Purdue came to College Park um, and it went, unfortunately for Maryland, about as you would expect. Um, Purdue ended up winning by, I think, about 14, but they were up around 20 for most of the second half. Um, it was pretty much just what you would expect from a team that's kind of trying to find its identity in Maryland versus Purdue, which might be, I think we both agree, we were talking before the call, that Purdue's probably the most complete team in the country right now. Probably if I had to make a pick to win the national championship, it would be Purdue right now. Um, you know, it was, it once again, it went kind of as expected. Um, Jameer Young kind of had to carry the scoring for Maryland as he's been doing. And you're just starting to see, you know, more and more as we get farther along into the season, the hope kind of being sucked away of maybe some of these guys coming on later in the year. There's obviously still about two months in the regular season uh, left, but but from what we've seen so far, it was just a kind of another chapter in what's been an overall pretty frustrating season for Maryland. And now you don't have that home winning streak to write home about. It was 19, up to 19 games. Um, when you look at the Purdue game, you know, I, I was in the house. I know you, you had the opportunity to watch it uh, on Peacock, which is a little bit unusual. Um, you know, what did you see from the game and just overall takeaways? Uh, the, the shooting performance was, was really ugly. Um, Julian Reese putting up zero points and obviously struggling also against UCLA, I think is a, is a ginormous concern. Um, really doesn't make much sense. Uh, we, we, we've seen how good he can be, but against some of these major conference teams, he's really struggled, um, struggled against Villanova, struggled against UCLA, now struggles against Purdue. I think that's that, that's a massive concern for Maryland fans. Even even Kevin Willard admitted it too. He's like, you know, Juju need, Juju needs to be better. He needs to adapt. But Jameer Young, he wasn't even at his best, and he just he carried the load for this team offensively. He scored 26 points, almost half of the team's points. But if the offense doesn't get going, and if guys not named Jameer Young continue to be just in it, incapable of shooting the ball uh, essentially it's going to be a long season and i i don't see this team getting many wins uh in the big 10 unless something changes on the offensive side of the ball yeah well one thing i pointed out in my takeaways article on testudotimes.com once again going to plug it and you guys should go there for for any you know coverage you want in maryland sports not just football and basketball you know we got it all on there um was that you know maryland by by losing at home you know what you lose to home, lose at home to number one Purdue. It's it knows what it is. Purdue beats amazing teams, right? You look at Purdue's resume, and they've beaten teams that are so much better than Maryland this year. But what that means is now, if you want to replicate your record last year in the Big Ten, which got you, you know, a middling seed in the NCAA tournament after a better non-conference schedule than you've put out, if you want to make the NCAA tournament, you're gonna to have to start picking up wins on the road. And we know how difficult that's been for this team. You know, they have a. This is coming out Saturday morning. Um, Sunday afternoon, they have a game uh, at Minnesota. You know, we'll see what happens with that. See see if they can snatch a win there. You know, Minnesota has a decent record, not necessarily one of the strongest teams in the Big Ten, but has a decent record. Um, Poor strength of schedule. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's it's the margin for error gets slimmer, you know, after every game that goes by. And losing to Purdue, once again, is nothing to hang your heads about, but it's more so just the missed opportunities. And you start to look at the schedule. You start to look at the, the way the Big Ten's playing out where, Maybe it's not as deep as we thought. Maybe it's kind of Purdue and everyone else. You know, as we're recording this right now, Purdue is, is beating Illinois pretty handily. Um, 
you're starting to look at the schedule and starting to notice, you know, there's not too many opportunities for signature wins left. And when you're looking at an NCAA tournament resume, that is going to include at least one quad four loss in Asheville, probably a couple quad three losses, um, you know, some, some unconvincing wins against some, some weaker non-conference opponents, and then maybe a not so great big 10 record. You know, you start looking at the opportunities for this team and, you know, I know Kevin Willard says, you know, they're going to be better in February, but if they're better in February, it's too late. And he also said they were going to be better in December. And he said they were going to be better in January. You know, at some point, this might just be what they are. And yeah. what they are right now is definitely not a team that deserves to be playing in March. This, I mean, this may sound crazy, but I think it's not, I don't think it's out of the picture to say their most realistic path to the NCAA tournament is to pull off a a, a miracle run in the, in the big tournament. I mean, it's crazy to say, but honestly, I don't think it's, out of the realm of possibility, you know, if if, if Jameer Young has a has has a like a cardiac Kemba type of march and just leads the team to like 15 straight victories, that seems yeah. literally seems like the only right right now, and a lot can change it from, from from now to March, right? A, a lot can change, but right now it's looking ugly. Yeah, and you know, Jameer Young last year had to carry a lot of the load for this team. Um, it's even more this year. You know, like you said, Julian Reese not even scoring against Purdue. That's the first time in his career that he played at least 15 minutes and didn't score. Um you know, last year against Purdue, he played really well. It was like last year against Purdue, the road game, which came before the home game where they were able to knock off Purdue. When he went to the road to face Zach Eady, that was kind of the moment where you started to see it flip for him. You started to see him kind of come on. And you're like, OK, this is the Julian Reese that we were promised as a high school recruit that, you know, we've heard a lot about the development of. That was when you started to see it. And then he played really well against Purdue the next time around against Eady and, and that group as well. But then this time, you know, Maryland just couldn't really do anything with Edie and with Purdue's, you know, ability to swing the ball around. Um, that's what I want to kind of harp on. That was my biggest takeaway from being there in person. You know, we got the opportunity to see Purdue in person last year, but that obviously did not go Purdue's way. This year, just seeing the the contrast between what Maryland was doing on offense and what Purdue was doing on offense, just taking whether or not the shots were falling out of it, what the score was, just seeing the way that Purdue was had such a clear focus on offense. They were swinging the ball around inside out with ED kickouts for threes, driving to the rim. Obviously it helps to have the national player of the year down low. There's, I'm not no, gonna, there, 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 there's no rhythm in Maryland's offense. Exactly. Maryland would dribble, you know, it was young or whoever's the ball handler, you know, brings across half court and then he's just kind of just waiting for some motion. Maybe he drops it off to someone. But then after that, there's not really any movement without the ball. There's not really any intent to get the ball to anyone in particular, get it in the post swinging around inside out for threes, whatever it was, it just looked like Purdue, you know, I hate to say it, but Purdue just looked like a much better coach team. Just looks like a lot more motivated team mm -hmm. and their roster construction. Mm -hmm. They were able to keep it around where they have that chemistry with each other. You know, with Maryland, you're just seeing this just lack of rhythm and just this lack of fluidity where everything just looks really disjointed. And, you know, they, they did pretty well on defense to, to limit Purdue from, from, I think it was the first time they scored under 70 points this year, or at least one of the first times. But even so, like it just when you see you've seen Maryland struggle this year, we've seen Maryland play against some decent teams and not play all too well. Yeah. But what you, when you see the number one team in the country and the rightful number one team in the country come into Xfinity Center and just put on a clinic like that, it really just kind of opens your eyes to like how far Maryland is from being able to compete with teams like that. You don't necessarily have to beat Purdue to get to the NCAA tournament, but what you have to do is you have to beat teams that are competing with Purdue and Maryland just didn't look like really it belonged on the same court as the Boilermakers to be. There's, totally honest. There, there's such a lack of enthusiasm right now around the program. 
um, if we're being honest, which I think is really disappointing to see after after what what transpired last year. Um, I mean, if 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 wins don't start to pile up from now, I would say until mid February, uh, if if this team doesn't go at least two or three games over five hundred. I think there's going to be a lot of question marks surrounding the coaching staff, if we're being realistic. Um, I think just because of the expectations that that were there this year. Um, I mean, we've said this before, but the construction of the roster was not right. It was definitely underwhelming, um, and it's showing. Uh, and I'm just not, from what we've seen, I'm just not sure that Maryland will be able to turn the season around just from what we've seen. Yeah, and I think, you know, once again, it's January 5th. Yeah. But, you know, we're just putting this all out there now because it's, you know, on the top of our minds. Like when you start looking at the direction of the program, and I know we had yeah. some of these talks about football team midway through the season, and then, you know, they kind of proved us wrong and kind of got back on track. But when you start looking at the direction of Maryland basketball, you start looking at the cupboard being somewhat bare for recruiting. I mean, they got Malachi Palmer, so they have a commit, at least in the class, for next year. But when you start looking at the recruiting that isn't necessarily – at the level that it needs to be to give you enthusiasm after a season like this, you know, it's just, yeah. Like the questions do need to be asked. And if you start missing the NCAA tournament, you know, I understand that like Mark Turgeon got like 10 years at Maryland. And I know a lot of people really didn't like Mark Turgeon, but Mark Turgeon got like 10 years at Maryland and he missed the NCAA tournament the first couple of times. But once you've proven as Kevin Willard, you've proven last year that you can make the NCAA tournament, Mm -hmm. you no longer get that leeway. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, Kevin Willard inherited a much better program in a, in a better state than Mark Turgeon did. If you miss the NCAA tournament as Maryland's head coach, you know, I'm not going to say you have to be fired on the spot. I don't believe that. I don't believe you should just fire someone immediately after two years. But when you look at the combination of that, the recruiting, if you miss the NCAA tournament as Maryland's head coach, like the questions need to be asked. You immediately need to be on the hot seat because Maryland, if you want to come into Maryland and call it a top 10 program, call it a top 10 job, talk about the expectations being for championships and then miss the NCAA tournament. Like that can't fly at a program like Maryland. And if Maryland wants to take itself seriously, it has to ask itself those questions. And right now it's definitely on a collision course, but not only missing the NCAA tournament and this team doesn't belong to be in the NIT right now. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's really crazy. You say that, but you're not wrong. And, and, and that's, that's, you're not wrong. Yeah. And we'll revisit this, you know, a lot of times throughout the season and maybe they'll, once again, we, with the football team, I remember, you know, after the Illinois game, after the Northwestern loss, you know, us being on this podcast talking about, um, you know, do the questions need to be asked about if the program's trending in the right direction, and then you end the season with with a couple wins and and a close loss to a team that's playing for the national championship, and then all of a sudden you look at it and say, okay, you know, they just had a couple of hiccups. But Maryland, I mean, can you point to a game this year where you're like they really played well? You know, like I understand there were a couple against some really bad opponents, but like. The UCLA win was was a pretty ugly win. I mean, you know, Jameer Young really carried them, and then they kind of faltered at the end. Okay. There, there hasn't really been a performance this year that really inspires confidence. I mean, even last year, you know, last year's team, this year's team, you know, we shouldn't keep comparing them because at some point you just have to you know, remember this is this year's team, and it's already in January. But, like, last year's team, you could look at it and say, you know, they dropped a couple games here, but and they played really bad, and you know, against this team. They got blown out by UCLA. You know, they, they, they had a terrible offensive performance against Tennessee. Then you look back and you're like, well, they blew out Miami, who's good. They blew out St. Louis, who's good. They beat Illinois. Like Maryland this year has not had that kind of game. And, you know, the game like Purdue, I'll say it again. I've said it probably five times already. 
it's not that you lost to Purdue. It's that you lost another opportunity of the few remaining to really mm-hmm. bolster your resume. And at the end of the season, you know, Maryland's going to have to play the resume game. I don't care if they go on a win streak. There's Correct. no way, unless they win out, there's no way that they can play themselves into a lock into the NCAA tournament. They're going to have, they're going to be on the bowl, best case scenario. And when you start oh. looking at the lack of, you know, wins, we know the committee loves those. And, you know, there's, there's not really going to be any on the schedule. There's really no games mm-hmm. left. Maybe Michigan State, if they end the season well, but like, there's not really any, there's not really any games that I look at on the schedule as like opportunities for like a season defining victory that can really put you over the edge. Uh, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to be funny when I when I said legitimately, their best path right now might be a miracle run in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, and you know if Jameer Young has to keep doing this, he's not going to have anything left, you know, for the for the Big Ten yeah. tournament. But you know that that that's my rant on Maryland basketball um, on January fifth, with about two months left before yeah. the Big Ten tournament, approximately. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully from a Maryland perspective, it doesn't it doesn't age well. But uh, I haven't seen anything to really make me think otherwise um anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here i think you got it i mean i think maryland football ended on a good note and maryland basketball is going the wrong direction yeah and you know we'll see how it all plays out and we'll be here more frequently on the testudo talk podcast we missed a week we're fresh now into the new year and we're ready to hit it hard um for the rest of basketball season and then for a little bit of the off season um as well so uh, so thanks everyone for listening we will see you next week with another episode and uh and yeah we'll we'll see how the basketball team does between now and then and if any football news comes our way we will keep you all updated make sure to check us out at testudotimes.com as well and thanks everyone for listening